This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7, and... I'm going to be honest, I think this is around the 20th episode that we've recorded, and I don't know that we've had better timing for bringing a guest on this show to talk about something that um, is just a really timely topic. Uh, that's because early last week, Google announced that they you know, want to play a bigger role in the college search process, and we're going to be talking about that today with Matt Hames. He's a higher education marketer extraordinaire. Uh, Matt is someone that I've really gotten to know well on Twitter. I'd say in the last six, seven months, he is someone who I love to uh, talk with on Twitter that I often disagree with on Twitter, but I think that's what makes it fun. And we're going to talk about uh, you know Google's new announcement, but even more so, we're also going to talk about the business of social platforms. Uh, what I think and what I know Matt thinks are underutilized social networks for higher education marketers. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Thanks so much, Stephen, for having me. And yes, we um, we do disagree um, here and there. And one of the things that we actually disagree with is the term website, which is a semantic term. But I like to think of a Facebook page as as a website, as the same as a .edu. Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting topic that you're right. I think we do disagree with. And I'll lay out kind of my position, which I think is is you don't own your Facebook page. You don't own your, your Twitter page. These are rented audiences. These platforms can make any change that they want at any time. And you are powerless against that uh, for the most part. But I, I think our listeners deserve to hear your side of this as well in terms of why you think they are websites, because I think you have some good arguments as well. Yeah, I know. And while I don't disagree with you, Facebook could turn around tomorrow and say, we're done having pages um, and you're out of luck. So that's one less website um, in the consumer mindset. It's um, it's just, again, a semantic argument. If, if um, a consumer does a Google search for a higher ed institution, and on the front page of that is the .edu, the Facebook page, the Twitter feed, the YouTube channel, then in the consumer's mind, they are your websites. So again, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a semantic argument and it doesn't really matter, but the point of it is that understanding what these platforms can do is the more important argument here than whether or not they're websites, because they really are just marketing tools for your brand. All right, well, let's use that as a segue into a topic that we definitely wanted to cover on today's show. We kind of talk about marketing tools, what are websites. I think we both agree, Matt, that there are a lot of tools available to today's higher education marketer. I know one of the perspectives that you have is that higher education hasn't always been great about using those tools with purpose. And that may be a reason that Google is making a play here for changing the way uh, that we see search engine result pages. Right. I think that um, higher education institutions are actually accidental marketers. So they were some of the first to get a website. 
Um, and a website is the first marketing tactic in the history of marketing that brands had to have. Like you had to have a website. And I, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I'm saying that the purpose of it wasn't a marketing purpose. The purpose was to just have it. And then all of a sudden you had to have a Facebook page. Then you had to have a Twitter feed. They had to have LinkedIn pro. They had to have LinkedIn company pages. They had to have a YouTube channel. So you end up with all of these digital tactics that are marketing platforms, but they lack a purpose. And so they're kind of quasi filled with just information and, you know, marketing fluff. And Google recognized this, that the, the prospective student in their search for a university was having a hard time surfacing the information that they needed on these digital platforms and on and especially on the .edu. So one of the things that Google did is it decided to surface that data at the very top. So you see in the, in the mobile results, in the search engine results page on mobile, you see acceptance rate, um, average cost, um, graduation rate. On the digital, on the desktop version of the Google search, you see you see different information like the um, average cost per household income. So a chart that shows um, household income and then your average cost. It shows you a list of various reviews. It shows you, again, the acceptance rate, the graduation rate, the average cost after aid. So it's surfacing the information that, um, that higher ed marketers have not been able to surface for prospective students. I want to get into more about this Google Play, but before we do, I want to get back to to the bigger point that I think you're making, which is this idea of the accidental marketer. From a big picture perspective, is this a problem of, I'm going to say, um, insufficiently clear institutional goals? Is it a problem of internal communication in terms of making sure that those institutional institutional goals are well known and mapped to marketing strategy where where is that purpose getting lost so that's a good question um and i think it depends on the institution but i but i also think that um if if we if higher education just got a .edu and a facebook page and usually they got 45 to 100 different facebook pages not just one they they all had a different purpose and they all had um, they, they never actually said this digital tactic is for this target market to do this. So in other words, the .edu is for prospective students um, to decide if they should apply. If that's the case, if, if that was truly the case, then most undergraduate .edu's right now would be talking about summer tours. The front page of, their, of the website would say, you should come here and tour this summer or you should take a virtual tour. And then once it gets to um, August, September, it should be talking about um, academics and the reasons to apply. It should, everything should be shifting in the calendar situation, but nobody really knows what the website is for and what the Facebook page is for. So a typical website right now might say, hey, today is, or this month is a particular month and we're celebrating it, or this teacher got promotion, or... This um, researcher did this awesome thing. So they're, they're not really sure what the purpose is. So they just throw up information. And I think that's partly because the communications at a typical university isn't always aligned with 
admissions or advancement development, it's usually kind of either one or the other, or it's somewhere in a, in a quasi middle, not really sure what it's trying to do. Because every school, no matter what the school is, every school needs to get a certain amount of applications and a certain amount of engagement from their alumni. And the, a, a good majority of that engagement should be gifts to the school. That's what every school needs to get every single year. But the communications digital platforms are not always aligned with those goals. Do you think that's a matter of commitment to standing up and just defining that singular audience? Or do you think it's death by committee? I mean, because I think if you if you had backroom conversations with executives at a lot of higher ed institutions, I think they would tell you, they would say, oh, no, our website is geared towards prospective students. I think they believe that. But I think when push comes to shove, the finished product, for whatever reason, doesn't end up fully committing to that audience in the way that, that you're describing that. Do you think it's a, a matter of just death by committee or, I, I or think you're sort of right. somewhere? I think you're sort of right. But I also think that if it depends on who you talk to. So if you talk to the department head of the history department, for example, that professor might say that the department page's purpose is to get more sophomores to become history majors. That's the metric that they need. So they will say, if, if my department landing page is not getting more um, sophomores to declare as history majors, then that's going to impact my department. So you can say, great, I don't disagree, but that's got to happen in December and January, not in, in um, June. In June, what we need is more people to decide to apply to the school to become and think about history as an option as a prospective student. And then the page can morph over to, um, to convincing or a different digital tactic could actually help you to convince a sophomore that they should, they should um, major in history. The problem is, is that um, the history department um, professor who's in charge of the department just says, no, the, the department page is going to sell history major to current students. And off-campus study is going to sell off-campus study to current students. And so it, it's, it's, again, it's, they only look at the website as being their only digital tactic and, and think, very myoptically about what they want to do. So they're very hyper-focused on their goals, not the overall university goals. Well put. And that probably brings us back to, I think, the reason that Google is trying to capitalize uh, on making sure that students can find the information that they're looking for when they search for, for a school like you you brought up earlier one of the things that I've noticed, and this is a pretty fresh announcement, you know, the reactions to this have been really mixed. I've seen some in, some individuals say this was inevitable, not a big deal. Um, others say, no, this is this is game changing. I'm curious, Matt, where do you fall on this spectrum? So I'm I'm, I'm actually of the theory that it's that it's both it was a both inevitability and it's also a game changer at the same time. So. For the longest time, Google as a Google is a product, right? If you if you or I type something into the search bar of Google, 
Google works best when it delivers exactly what it is that we're looking for. And it knows our personal search histories. So it's trying to gear it towards what it what the, what the search engine thinks it knows about us as well, which is also important. So it has long since looked at them at the way prospective students have searched for higher ed institutions and been continually trying to figure out how to give it a better answer, like how to give somebody a better answer to um, a search for Harvard University, because the, it probably knows, and it, it certainly knows, that less and less people are clicking on the very top hit, which is harvard.edu, and more and more people are scrolling down. If social platforms have taught kids one thing, it's taught them to scroll down for more information. <laughs> so people are scrolling down farther to find that information. And these social platforms have realized that too. They have realized that they are on the front page of um, a search for Harvard University or a search for Yale. Um, they have realized that. So they have upped their game and they've created business platforms for marketers to start using and, and to start really thinking about Facebook, um, Google especially, and LinkedIn as business platforms and not social platforms. One of the things that I think of when I think of this Google product announcement is, I guess it's been a few years now that Google announced uh, rich search snippets. And you know, for, for a long time, right, as a marketer, when it came to SEO, you want it to be in that number one search position. And then Google announced these search snippets where they basically just gave you the answer to your question, um, cut and pasted from the number one search result. But marketers almost didn't like being that number one position and getting that search snippet originally because it meant the fear was that the user would search for a question, see the answer thanks to Google, and never actually visit that website. Uh, now, I think that reaction is, has you know, tamed a little bit. Do you think that higher ed marketers are feeling the same way? Do you think there's a genuine concern that prospective students might search for a Harvard, a Yale, see the information they need straight from Google, and just not visit the .edu? Yeah, I think that's not only a fear, but a reality. Um, I think that, like, the, the people who are doing website redesigns right now and thinking about a homepage and a hierarchical view of their website are thinking about it exactly wrong because the really smart people at Google are trying to think about how to get a student right to the information they need right when they need it. That's what this update is about. It's about giving them um, um, a view of a school with the, with the metrics that they probably have seen students searching for the most like they're just not making this up they're probably using data to determine that what students want to see is acceptance rate graduation rate and cost that is probably a thing that more and more 17 year olds every year are searching for so that's the reason why they surfaced it to the very top less and less people are going to click on the .edu if you think about the mobile SERP right now which is the search engine results page for a school they have an overview tab first. The .edu arguably is a 3,000-page overview. And Google has, has basically turned it into three or four sentences 
on a mobile search? Like, if what is the difference between a class size of of nine to one, nine nine students and one faculty, and eleven to one? Like, if you're a prospective student, and you're thinking that through. Those are just average numbers. It doesn't even mean anything. What does mean something is the cost, the graduation rate, and the acceptance rate. Those are actual numbers that you can determine whether or not, A, you think you can get into the school and you can succeed at the school and whether or not you can afford the school. Like Those are <laughs> actual decisions that students have to make, not should I sit under this tree on the quad? Should I go into that chapel? Should I... Will I get to have class outside with that cool professor with the cool hat? Those aren't those aren't things that are making are making prospective students make these decisions. But the website is basically the .edu is basically just those stories over and over, and they're the same stories. So you're saying that lazy rivers are on the way out. <laughs> I, I'm saying that, like, yeah, lazy rivers. Um, the 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 things that universities think make them distinct are not necessarily distinct to the prospective student. Um, a university that's in a remote location is definitely not in competition with a university in a city, but it's in competition with all of the other universities in remote locations as well. Um, you know, a liberal arts university is not, is not going to compete based on the title of a history course it's going to compete on an entirely different level these days. It's going to compete on price and it's going to compete on acceptance rate and graduation rate. Then let's talk about information hierarchy because I guess here's a question for you. If you're, if you're manage a, managing a website for a .edu right now, you've seen this product launch. Is it worthwhile to make an effort to push that information, that information that Google is making imminently available without visiting your .edu. Does it make sense to make your own efforts on your own owned web property to push that same information so that it's easier for a student to find when they land on your .edu or does it not matter because they're going to get it from Google right when they search for your brand name? That's a great question. Um, I honestly don't know the answer, but I would I would suspect that what you want to do is start thinking about school.edu slash acceptance rate, school.edu slash um, outside reviews, school.edu slash graduation rate. You know, instead of calling it success, which is what most schools call it, call it graduation. You know, talk about your graduates and their success and try to take the information that Google is surfacing, give it its own landing page on your website and add the context that is missing from Google, because that's, you're going to, you're going to have more success adding the context. And that kind of information is stuff that you should be putting on your business.facebook.com page. You should have that kind of, information surfaced at the very top in, um, in Facebook notes, a Facebook note could be called, um, reviews of school. And then you could just break out the reviews in the same way that, um, Google did that may or may not get indexed by Google, but at least it's there for people who are digging under your hood. Hey, podcast listeners. 
If you're anything like me, you've likely found yourself listening to more and more podcasts lately. And if that's the case, you're not alone. Recent research shows that 26% of Americans now listen to podcasts monthly. That's higher than the percentage of Americans using Twitter. For many podcast consumers, the rise in podcast popularity has led to dreams of producing a branded podcast for their own institution. Unfortunately, the road to planning and producing a podcast isn't as straightforward as consuming one. Luckily, the team at eCity has just released a new ebook that details the aspects of podcasting that you need to consider before pressing the record button on your own show, as well as how to ask for help if you're struggling to get started. Grab the ebook now at ecityinteractive.com slash resources. That's ecityinteractive.com slash resources. And as always, thanks for listening. Let's talk about a little bit more of the, the business of these social platforms. You mentioned business.facebook just a minute ago. You know, I think anyone who listens to the show is familiar with the larger social media platforms, right? Like the Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, but I don't know how many of them are familiar with what I think we agree is an underutilized aspect of social media. Um, so uh, let's, you know, give me, give our audience a quick primer when we talk about business.facebook, you know, business.google, these business platforms, what are we talking about? So what we're talking about is, is a sort of a marketing suite, um, business.facebook.com, which is free. So you just have to turn it on by going to business.facebook.com and, and adding your various pages. What it allows you to do is if there's an admissions page, a student page, an alumni page, an athletics page, an off-campus study page, a counseling center page, a sustainability page, you can put them all under the same business.facebook.com umbrella and manage them together. Now, this isn't just you, the, the digital media strategist at the university, stealing them all from everybody because everybody will still be able to post on them. But what it allows you to do is if you start doing advertising – you you can be rest you can rest assured that if um, if if the alumni version or the alumni people are doing ads out to your alumni, your sustainability people aren't doing ads out to the alumni as well at the same time, because Facebook's an auction marketplace, and if you're both competing for the same audience, you're actually competing with yourselves and driving the price up. So that's the first thing that allows you to do it. It allows you to kind of think about all of your Facebook pages in one place. The second thing it does is it allows you to add the Facebook pixel to your website and gives you advanced analytics on traffic to your .edu. Since nobody ever logs out of Facebook, they genuinely don't. It's too hard. Um, when they visit, when anybody visits your .edu, it hits the Facebook pixel and Facebook knows exactly who that person is because they probably have a, have a Facebook page. And so they're, they're surfacing um, traffic to your website. And eventually, I think they're going to start surfacing traffic to your website based on interest categories. So you can already um, market to people who visited your website using the um, Facebook pixel. So anybody who visits your history department page, you can market to them during your admission cycle and say, hey, you should come here and do history because we're awesome at history. Um, so you can already do that, but I think what you're going to be able to do is market to those same people based on interest, um, what they are Facebook interested in. So if they're Facebook interested in 
history and outdoor education, then you can subset out the population to say we do outdoor education really well. And then finally, the third thing that it lets you do is it lets you verify the domains. It lets you verify your .edu and your blog so that if you're sharing content on your Facebook page from your verified domains, you can change the picture and you can change the description and you can change the title. Because six months ago, Facebook stopped allowing you to do that in an effort to cut down on fake news. So just that alone, the ability to edit the title of the, of the content you share, just that alone is worth um, doing Facebook uh, business.facebook.com, especially if you use iModules for your events. Because now when you plug in an event in Facebook, you can change that gobbledygook that iModules throws up there. Yeah, it feels like that should be a required implementation, just like yeah. you said, based on that last that last topic alone. Yeah, just if you don't want to do remarketing, fine. If you don't want to do, if you don't want to collect all the Facebook pages into one place, fine. Just verify your domain, and then you can have better Facebook organic posts. What about? Uh, you know, when we talk about Facebook Pixel, I think sadly still the first topic that comes up is the Chronicle article from, la- you know, the fall 2017 that compared it to Russian spying uh, in in no uncertain terms. Where do you, uh, you know? I feel like I know where you stand on that map, but so let's let's let me ask you the question this way: Why was the Chronicle wrong on how they viewed the Facebook Pixel in that article? So I think. Um, Knowing who your audience is and what your audience is interested makes for a better ad. So, so if you understand that you're, that the audience is interested in X and you can deliver um, a piece of marketing to that audience that says exactly like that is more interesting and more relevant to that audience, then it's a good thing for everybody. Like the reality is, is that, um, higher ed offers a product that is a really meaningful um, solution to a certain 17, 16, 17 year old. You know, I believe in the mission of higher ed. I believe in the potential of higher ed. I believe that offering higher ed to students is a great, great thing. And so if you can, if a higher ed institution knows a little bit more about them, the person that they're marketing to, knows a little bit more about their interests, they can better position their university as a yes or no. Like, again, I think the reason that Google did what they did is because we're really crappy at marketing. Higher ed is really crappy at marketing. And and the better we get at marketing, the better decisions students will be able to make. Like, I fundamentally believe that. If, If you know more, if you can position your school to the right people, then they're going to make the right decision and everybody's going to be successful. Matt, I feel like executives, higher ed executives may think, and maybe it's a certain subsection of face of uh, higher ed executives think the Facebook pixel is creepy. Do prospective students think it's creepy? Well, let me just, let me ask you this question is sticking the um, Google analytics pixel creepy Like nobody even thought for a second, like, oh, we'll just give Google all of the information about traffic to our .edu. And nobody, nobody's actually ever asked the question, is that creepy? So really, 
if you're okay with putting Google Analytics on your website, why are you not okay with putting Facebook, like what makes Facebook creepy and Google not creepy would be the way I would ask. And so the, the way that I would also answer this is we already have Google Analytics on our website. Facebook Analytics is just another opinion of traffic to your website. Do you think it's because Google Analytics is macro and Facebook is micro? I guess that would be the the one differentiating factor that I can think of. Um, yeah, I guess so. I think it's I think right now, um, today in 2018, we have some we have some issues that we need to work out. The world has some issues that it needs to work out with Facebook, and for some reason, we don't have the same issues with Google. Even though Google has seven products with a billion users and pretty much knows what you're doing at all times, we don't seem to have the same issue with Google that we do with Facebook. And that could be because of the election. That could be because it's a much more mature product. It's a very emotional project product. Facebook, like you go onto Facebook and you get angry at your crazy uncle, whereas you never go to Google and get angry. <laughs> so that could be it. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, that is. You know, the passion that people have for Facebook and the and the um and the the deep um knowledge that Google has and the and the products that like the education platform products that most schools use at Google, um, those two are vastly are vastly different than the way that just about everybody thinks about LinkedIn. So on business.linkedin.com, nobody gives it a second thought. Nobody is either angry about it or not even thinking about it. Like they're just not, they're just like, oh yeah, that's right. There's LinkedIn. I don't even know what to do with that one. I don't think anyone knows what to do with LinkedIn. You are one of the most fascinating people on Twitter. Let's forget higher ed Twitter. You're one of the most fascinating people on Twitter, period, when it comes to LinkedIn and opinions on LinkedIn, because I get the sense that you have a major love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. Is that right? I it, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn, and I and I say this honestly, LinkedIn accidentally became the single greatest argument for higher education um, with its alumni outcomes tab. It manages to collect the alumni outcomes of every single person who went to your school and created a LinkedIn profile. And that's just about every single person who went to your school, except for all the retired people. Um, and it, and it shows what their skills are, where they work, what their, what their major was. So a 17 year old right now can search any school, can search history major and see where all the history majors work and live and what they're skilled at and what their internships were and what their jobs were before they made it to CEO. Like it is, it is the greatest argument for higher education ever assembled in one place. That's the good part. The bad part is, is that it's like Facebook seven years ago. It's still growing. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't help any company page administrators do their job better. It's, it's trying to be Facebook when really what it is, so it's trying to be a social media stream when really what it is is an amazing data set with amazing information about that data. 
So, you know, I often think that LinkedIn for education could be one of the most important tools that you can use for a university, but it's just completely underutilized. Well, let's talk about a step that they've taken, I guess, recently. And when we talk about business platforms, LinkedIn is, it's the most recently formed business platform. So business.linkedin.com. Um, why do higher ed marketers need to be paying attention to this? What are the key capabilities here? So again, here we go with the um, LinkedIn pixel. So this is analytics to the slash alumni section of your website, of your .edu. So this is any alum who comes to your page, to your .edu to update their bio, to, um, to look at events that you have, to register for a union, to register for homecoming. So the, anything on slash alumni, if you stick it on there, you can, that is a, that is a different subset of alumni. So if you just split your alumni into half and say there's, or not half, say there's a subset of alumni, a cohort that has visited our website in the last six months, and then there's a cohort who haven't, you can solicit to them differently based on that information alone. The next piece of information that you can then have is, um, is how alumni are, are using your .edu because it's mostly going to be alumni who engage with your company page. And since we never log out of LinkedIn, in theory, that pixel is going to offer you information, not um, Stephen App went to the website, but, um, but a, a person living in this city went to your website and people living in these cities went to your website. So that data can be interesting too for figuring out where events are going to be moving forward. Like there's, there's a lot of potential for LinkedIn being um, being an awesome tool. Here's a, here's one other tip that I know that you can all use. Um, if you're if you have um, if you have a, an alum who is assigned to a major gift officer, if that alum is in the news, put it on your LinkedIn company page and tag them. LinkedIn will send them notification that their university tagged them on a company page notification about their news. Send that over to the major gift officer, and the major gift officer can either like it, comment on it, or even just call the person and say, hey, congratulations on your news. I saw it on our company page. It's a, it's a simple little engagement moment that you can use for your higher-end donors who are often in the news anyway because they're usually doing some pretty awesome things. My sense, right, we're talking about Google, Facebook, LinkedIn here. My sense is that LinkedIn is probably the least utilized of these three. Um, is that something that you would agree with or, or am I off base on that? So I, I, I would agree with you. Um, I think everybody uses Google, definitely. But I don't think people are using business.google.com. And I think that's an important new thing as well. It's only about a year old. And business.google.com allows you to add posts that could appear on your search. So you can add events and you can add posts. It is a sort of a news feed. And the news from that feed comes onto your search engine results page in random ways, depending. But it's, it's that information that you want to put out there um, as often as you possibly can. But I don't, think, I don't think there's a lot of schools that are currently utilizing that. 
And I definitely think that there are no schools using business.linkedin.com. Is that just because it is so new or because schools are so are using LinkedIn so infrequently already that the idea of going further with that and putting more effort to learn business.linkedin is is just completely off the table? I think that's that's probably it. LinkedIn's been kind of messing around with higher education anyway. Uh, they first started company pages and that was anybody who worked at a university. And then they started university pages which was when they automatically subscribed everybody who was an alum of your university to the university page. And so for a while you had competing pages and then they combined them and like, and then they're a mess. They honestly, this is true. You can go to some, some university company pages. And if the person who's doing the posting is using Chrome, all of the posts are repeated. So they appear twice. Because LinkedIn doesn't work on Chrome. <laughs> it's so crazy. But LinkedIn really doesn't work on Chrome. So if you, if you do a post on the company page using Chrome, it posts it twice, five minutes later. So any, It probably works great on Internet Explorer. It works fantastic on Internet Explorer. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, when, if, if Internet Explorer works, I think it does. Right. Which, which is actually, you know, which is interesting because um, – if you're, if, if it's, let's, let's just close the loop here because if a 17 year old has, um, has an iPhone and they use Safari, which is the standard app on, um, on a phone and they don't download Chrome and some people do, then they're not going to see this innovation from Google because the Safari search on mobile is to Bing. They're not going to get to see this new innovation. So I, I think that's an important element. Like we talk about this, like everybody uses Google and everybody uses all these tools, right? And it's important to know that people don't use all these tools, but it's important to understand what they can do for you. That almost circles back to the earlier conversation we were having about, is it worth it for a higher ed marketer to take the information that Google's making immediately available and make it more prominent on their own DDU? I think if you're factoring in this idea that we've got a certain percentage of prospective students who are on iPhones because everyone seems to be on iPhone and is using Safari browser for whatever reason. We want to make sure that that information is, is coming up high on the search queries that they're making with Safari. So it is worthwhile. I know we talked about, is it worthwhile to push that? Um, maybe this is a reason why it is. Yeah, a search for Colgate University on Safari. The first, the first one is a um, Amazon.com ad, <laughs> and it's for me. Then it's Colgate's official site, a map, and then Wikipedia. It is not the same experience. It is like Google was last week. Which honestly is anecdotal evidence for all you kids out here who are listening to go download Google Chrome. <laughs> hey everyone, the hashtag higher ed podcast is part of Connect EDU, a podcast network bringing together brilliant minds in the higher ed space and breaking down silos. You can check it out at connectedu.network where you can find great shows no matter where you work on campus as well as resources for first time and long time podcasters. You can also follow along on Twitter at ConnectEDUPod and hashtag ConnectEDU. Well, Matt, let's, right, everything starts and ends with Google these days. So let's real quick 
I know we've touched on it here and there in this episode, but I want to make sure that we get to communicate and, and talk about the value of business.google because there is a lot of value there, even in light of Google's recent product announcement. So what can you tell our listeners about the business.google platform and, and why should they care about it even in light of this announcement? So um, just getting business.google.com allows you to manage your location on Google Maps. So make sure that the address is right, the phone number is right, all the information is right. You'll have to verify your listing. Um, they'll either send you a code to a phone number or they'll send you a piece of mail. So you verify your locations. Um, that's important if you have a new building that you're putting up because you want to be able to verify that you have a new building on your Google Maps. And you, so using business.google.com allows you to do that. You'll get an email when somebody re reviews your university. Um, usually get those around January 15th, 16th when, you know, or not around, around March when you let people in. Um, you'll get a review here and there. Um, and it also allows you to make some posts, make some events. And now Google's always going always gonna to change. It's always going to innovate. It's always going to, it used to allow texting. It doesn't allow texting anymore. Um, it's always going to kind of go with what the people are using. But if you add events to your business.google.com feed, it is more likely that those events are going to get surfaced in your search engine results page. So you're just kind of playing Google's game. And Google's game is trying to give the most relevant information to a prospective student at the most relevant time. If you can help Google by giving information that is relevant to prospective students at the relevant time, then I truly believe that they're going to surface that information for you. So again, it's understanding, like this isn't SEO, this is understanding your admission cycle, understanding the content that Google's currently delivering and trying to add context around that content using the, um, using the feed inside of business.google.com. Finally, the last thing is it does allow you to add images. So the images that appear on the right-hand side in the um, knowledge key on the right-hand side, those photos can come from you. So you can put your best fo photo foot forward as well. Yeah, you mentioned, right, you're basically playing Google's game. I think it's important to note that's a game worth playing. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is definitely a game worth playing. And it's a game of this, right? And I said this at the beginning, and I think it's important to reiterate. At its core, Google is a product. When you and I type something into Google, Google wants to deliver the best information answer that it possibly can. It's cribbing together information right now on what the data has suggested that students want. But if you add information to it and students start consuming that information, then Google's going to carry on delivering it. It doesn't care what the information is. It cares what students engage with. That's how it's making these decisions. So if you can give information to business.google.com that people start engaging with, then you're helping Google give answers to prospective students, which makes Google's tool work better, which only helps you. Do you think higher ed marketers are just intimidated by these business platforms? We've talked about the fact that they're underutilized. Is it a fact of intimidation or a fact of time or somewhere in between? I think, I, I think partially, and I don't want to paint all universities with the same brushstroke, but I think 
the um, higher education has a tendency to have some semantic issues with the word words business and marketing. Look at the mission statement of almost any university, and they're they're a thousand words long, and they're about making better people in a, and making the world a better place. Um, a vast majority of the people on a hill don't think that they sell a product. So using using terms like business.facebook.com is kind of icky. That said, it is a high involvement, high consideration purchase decision. Some universities are a quarter million dollars now for four years. So it's a business. There's a product and it has an outcome. And Google has surfaced all that information in a, in a very business-like way. And I think it's time for higher ed to start really thinking about themselves as a business with a cycle. Hey everyone, a quick shout out to the agency that makes this show possible, eCity Interactive. You know, I really do love coming to work every day at eCity, and that's not just because everyone shares my love of donuts, uh, but that's really because I get to collaborate with a talented team working on everything from user experience to content and digital marketing to web design and development and a whole lot more. Our work has earned us an incredible roster of education clients, including the University of Pennsylvania, George Washington University, Petty School, Cornell, Drexel, Rutgers, and many others. So if you're looking to improve your web and digital presence and better communicate your school's story, visit us online at ecityinteractive.com and get in touch. Well, Matt, uh, this was a phenomenal show, and I think I mentioned this at the top. It's worth repeating. This is probably the best luck we've had on this podcast in terms of getting an individual like yourself who knows this space so well at a really critical time because, uh, like I said, I think we're in agreement. We talk about how we disagree sometimes, but we are in agreement that this is a big deal, Google's new announcement. And I'm glad that we could bring you on the show to, to talk about it. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun and a really good conversation. Well, before we let you go, let's make sure our listeners, if they aren't already familiar with you, can can find out more about you and follow you on the channels that you're on. So uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Um, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm at M Hames, H-A-M as in Matt, E-S. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just um, just search Matt Hames. Or actually, if you if you search Matt Hames on Google, I'm, I usually win. And if you want to see my curling exploits, Search Matt Hames Curling, and you can see what I used to be in in the world of curling. Uh, and of course, each episode, we ask our guests to give a social shout out to a colleague or individual that you feel deserves a little bit more recognition of their work. Uh, I know you came with someone in mind, Matt, so the floor is yours. So I think you should go follow Brittany Westbrook. She's at Chrome A, so Chrome like the website, the letter A, 3395. Um, so she's Chrome A3395. She works on digital things at the University of Southern Mississippi. She's on her game, and she usually offers some pretty interesting higher ed marketing tidbits on Twitter. So there you go. You heard it here first. Uh, I was looking at this, our, our pre-show notes, and saw this handle, immediately went and followed Brittany, and I can I can verify Matt's claims. I thought she had some really interesting perspectives and uh, very knowledgeable about the space. So everyone should go follow Brittany. Everyone should definitely go follow Matt. Matt, once again, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Looking forward to future conversations and arguments and disagreements and everything in between. Me too. Thanks for having me today, Stephen. 